episode of the game podcast i'm your host jerry thompson here with me are andrew brown and michael majors uh we got two gold pros one platinum pro hopefully uh andrew does well at this pro tour we can upgrade that to two platinum pros that'd be gas and uh majors is shooting for world so this pro tour should be pretty fun and interesting before the show the guys were basically telling me about all their sweet decks minus the details because they can't really tell me because they don't trust me and I'm just going to throw you guys under the bus. But, uh, That's so just not even true. Don't <laughs> lie to the people. Oh, I'm not lying at all. And I wouldn't lie. Come on. Well, I, I didn't tell you anything. Yeah, see? So I'm, I'm telling the truth. Don't lie about being a liar. That's just like lying squared. Mm, it, it is exponential. But as long as they believe me, then it's fine. Anyway... We have this Pro Tour coming up. Things are getting kind of secret. Uh, my, my secrets are kind of out there because I'm not going to the Pro Tour. Uh, I'm going to be playing in SCG Columbus and SCG Baltimore. Probably SCG Regionals as well. So that should be fun. I'll be playing a lot of Standard. And then I think after this week, Michael has to leave us. Maybe Andrew too. And then the podcast will go on a little bit of a hiatus until then. till after the Pro Tour. And then we should have a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, but now we kind of just want to do like a little a little general thing. You know, this podcast is kind of spiky, and I think the the people that identify as spikes are going to generally be pretty interested in this stuff as far as, like, you know, how someone at the highest level tries to prepare for Magic tournaments and just general preparation stuff and things that you can use to attempt to get better and just kind of hone your craft and stuff, so... Michael and I talk about this a decent amount. I think Andrew, before the show, described himself as an idealist, which I think is incredibly accurate. But yeah, Majors and I basically agree that the first step is being realistic about your expectations. I don't know. I guess I, I'll like I'll let Michael explain. Okay. Yeah, so I guess Jerry didn't have anything more to add, so he's throwing me under the no, bus I, again. I do. I do. But it's it's on you, man. It's on you. Let's go. All right, so so I guess we should we should frame this properly. Are we are we saying like within as a player or like within like let's say you have a tournament in two weeks? Is let, let's let's make sure that us and the audience are on the same page. Sure, I mean I, I I do think it's both, right? Both are very very important for me. I would I would warn that you know say say you have this big tournament coming up and you've been pre- preparing for two months or whatever, and you know it's like an SCG or Grand Prix comes to your hometown, whatever it is. You, you set a lot of expectations for yourself because this is like one of the big chances that you get to actually perform well and stuff. And I, I think not necessarily curbing your expectations, but just being realistic about them is very important because you can't necessarily have your sense of self-worth tied up in your results. And I realize that magic is this weird kind of thing where the tournaments only happen every so often, at least if, if you're not traveling to everything, you know. Basically, we're going to get into, like, my my big theory about this at, at a later point as far as, like, Magic being one big session. But that that's kind of how I look at it. As far as, like, one tournament, it's, it's really important, I think, to just not get too bummed out if you don't do so well or don't meet your expectations. And then as, as far as just, like, in general, I think... Uh, I, I think that's like an easier thing to kind of curb and define. I, I agree. I generally agree. I think that this is something that, you know, I've struggled with. And I, I assume basically all three of us, it's it's difficult to, you know, maybe a tournament is really important because, you know, you don't get many opportunities to play or maybe, you know, you really need the points or, you know, what have you. 
you know, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow when you randomly O2 a tournament or whatever, and, and it can happen to anyone and it, you know, it will happen to everyone a- along the way in their, you know, magic career. And that's something that you kind of have to accept and, you know, try to mitigate the variance that magic has as, as best you can, but sometimes you're going to be subject to it. That being said, like the most important thing to do when those opportunities, or excuse me, when those situations arise is to, you know, look at what you could have done better and be reflective and be honest about, you know, your pitfalls in the tournament, maybe in your preparation or your mindset or, you know, deck selection or what have you. And, you know, realize that you could have done things better, but then move on and not, you know, be upset about it. Yeah, I think one thing worth noting is to not necessarily be results oriented also. Like one thing that I try and do is always learn from my experiences. And that's kind of like what the tournaments are for me. You know, say you show up and I don't know, just using like week one Eldritch Moon standard as an example, it's just like, okay, so say you play a deck that is good against all these decks that are hyped up, like Spirits, Delirium, whatever, and you play against, like, Green-White Tokens twice, and you have a bad matchup against Green-White Tokens, because, like, why would anyone play this deck or whatever? Maybe they're, like, you know, the only two dudes in the field, and you just got bad pairings, or maybe that Green-White Tokens is still good, and, you know, your preparation was incorrect, because you, you just made, like, these kind of hard reads as far as like what the metagame was going to be and you kind of got punished for it, you know? And it's really easy for people to just be like, oh, I got so unlucky I played against this deck twice. At at the same time, you know, I I think you got to be able to separate the instances for when you were kind of unlucky as far as pairings were concerned and for when you actually made a mistake. Yeah, I agree. I I think the the big takeaway there is like, don't dwell on the facts like, oh, I got unlucky because I got paired against green-white tokens. Why would that idiot play green-white tokens? It's like, okay, well, why did they choose to play it? Why did I make the assumption that green-white tokens was unplayable? I mean, obviously, we're getting very specific whether this is like a corner case or whatever, but like... Yeah, but I think it's a good example. No, I, I agree. And then you have to look at the big picture. It's like, well, maybe you were right. Maybe green-white tokens got absolutely demolished and you did kind of just get unlucky, but you have to examine everything from every angle. Yeah, and I think emotions can really get in the way of that, where you have to keep your disposition as clear as possible, and you can't dwell on the fact that, oh, I got unlucky, and you can't have that cloud your judgment, because that's like the number one pitfall I see of uh, most players who like are almost there and try and hit the barrier, but they, they their emotions always get in the way, and they're like blinded by whatever unfortunate events that have hit them, and then they are like stagnated from hitting that next level. So how are you guys, is like, emotion-wise? I feel like Andrew is likely to be more emotional, at least, than Majors, but maybe that's not a fair comparison because I kind of just view Majors as a robot. How do you view me as a robot? You're pretty robotic. You're just there to kill people, man. Like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, like, I, I, saw like... You win, I saw you win six rounds in a row on day two in New York, and I, got, I think I saw you smile, like, a couple times, but that's when you heard a funny joke. <laughs> well you did if the joke was good then. yeah robot so so andrew what are what are you what are you like i don't know I, it, normally it's just take one match at a time make sure to use all the information that you've learned from the other rounds and come at it from the most like clean non-tainted like way of approaching a match and then afterwards reflect back on that hey could i have done anything different you know like what did my opponent do what did my opponent think and probably the most interesting thing that I do is I like to respect my opponents like a lot. I like to think that they're great at magic and we're going to have a great time and we're going to be like two elite samurais jamming swords and that really gets me in the zone and then I get to play to the best of my ability. And then after that, you know, reflect. 
I also think that's a good point too, just respecting your opponents, because I feel like a lot of the time people don't do that and then they just end up getting surprised. Well, it's also important to like read your opponent, like understand like what kind of skill level they're coming from or what kind of like community they're coming from and what kind of things they'll be more susceptible to. And then you can use that to your advantage. Yeah, this that might be a good topic for another show. Yeah, like when, when my opponent rolls out like Matt with a bunch of PTQ pins, uh, I, I'm going to bluff attack him every time. <laughs> Oh, just, just stereotyping. <laughs> I mean, J- Jerry Bluff attacks me every time, but I don't really know what that says about him. I mean, there's the there's the person who doesn't know anything, so like Bluff attacking is like kind of not right. There's the person that kind of knows things, but that's like a 50-50 shot. But like when, when you play against the guy who's been like, oh yeah, man, I studied the set. I know every combat trick. Of course you bluff every combat trick then. But that's unlimited, but you know. I don't, so, so for me, like... I, I think the most important thing, like, so, you know, I, I definitely think that being reflective is important, but it's it's not something that I focus on within the tournament itself, because I'm not really sure, and, and this is, you know, I'm talking personally, so maybe this is good for Andrew, but what's good for him is not good for necessarily everyone, but, like, for me, I kind of just, like, try to move on completely, because, like, even if I won, I can probably, like, pinpoint one or two things, and I'm like, oh, I screwed up, like, maybe I mentally file that away as something I shouldn't do in the future or whatever, but, like, uh, especially when you lose, like, I think it's, it's best to just kind of just move on completely and not think about it because, you know, it's in the past, you've already lost, you can't change the outcome. And I think just for most people, just thinking about losing makes them more upset. I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, but there have been occasions where like I'm playing in a tournament and I face a new deck that I haven't seen before. And then you kind of have to use that advantage. You have to use that information going forward if you play that again. Right. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, there's there's things that are, you know, applicable that you can take forward, especially, you know, week one standard format or whatever you can. There's a lot of information to be gleaned by just, you know, paying attention to what people are playing around you or whatever. I'm, I'm not trying to dissuade anyone from, you know, being perceptive. It's just like as far as, you know, your your own internal attitude or whatever, maybe uh, being reflective can be pushed off towards, you know, the after the tournament or whatever. So I, I do think that the emotion thing and like how much it affects you is is a really good thing to keep in mind. I do think that that segues nicely into our next point where, you know, everyone is different and you can't, there's no like hard and steadfast rule for like how you should apply to magic. I think one of the big things is making sure that, you know, you know yourself and know, know how you're going to take things or like know how you need to feel during a tournament. Like for example, Cedric Phillips is the guy that like needs to be emotional. Like he needs to feel something because otherwise the tournaments just don't interest him very much. And I think for people like me and majors, it's just better if we just kind of like turn it off and just do the one match at a time thing, you know? But I think a good point is that you just have to be, be honest with yourself and in who you are and like what, what kind of results that you're hoping to achieve and as, as far as like the the work that you can put in like how much time you have to dedicate like all those things are really important and like those factors should determine you know how invested you are in magic basically yeah but i want to take it like a step back i mean first you have to evaluate why why are you playing magic are, are you playing to have fun or are you playing to succeed and you have to figure out the best avenue for doing that because i mean i definitely play magic for both and i just try to identify what works best for me so I guess my advice would be figure out what works best for you and use that to make your happiness come true, I guess. Yeah, but you're you're like kind of transitioning between two modes depending on, you know, what you're doing, right? Like when you when you show up for the PT two weeks early, like you're there to work. 
So I don't, I don't think you can just like say that you kind of have the best of both worlds. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not making sense, but to, to me that it seems odd. At the end of the day, it is like magic is a thing that Andrew does for enjoyment, right? And he can get yes. enjoyment out of different things. Either it's like the interactions with people, the winning, like the process, you know? And, and I feel like as, as long as he's being honest with what he's trying to get out of it and how he can get to that point, then that is excellent. Yeah, it's just an entire like top-down experience. Like I fly out there, I get to play magic, one of my favorite things to do with some of my best friends for a week, and then I get to clash samurai swords with the best people in the world, and I get <laughs> to meet all of these excellent people who are like insanely smart from around the world, coming from different backgrounds, and just all of it is just this one perfect like experience that I like thirst for. I just ha I have fun the entire process. I, I don't know if that's weird. No, that just means you're way happier than me and, and Jerry. That's all. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have guessed that Andrew would be the happiest out of the three of us. I don't know, man. I, I get to see cool places. I get to meet cool people. I get to do my favorite thing, and it's the best. Yo, man, I'm not saying you shouldn't be happy because you should. Oh, yeah, dude. I, no, I, that, that was a joke. I mean, kind of, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it, a, a joke in that it's funny but also very real. Hey man, I yeah, met I mean, you through this, so so it's great. Both that's of true. You. you know, we're 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 doing this because of magic. Magic's yeah. great. I, I would never I would never try to argue otherwise. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I definitely agree with the idea that like. So let's let's say like you know you're you're ready to get into competitive magic or whatever. You've gotten your taste and you're like, all right, I'm gonna try to do it. Then then I agree that that being honest with yourself about how you want to approach it and you know what is realistic for you, how much time can you put into it, like. Those are things that you have to be honest with yourself about. And it's not like, you know, so strict or whatever, you know, it, it can be a gradual process. You don't have to dive in head first. But the point is, like, you have to there can't be a disconnect between your expectations and reality and how much work you put in. Like, it has to be one fluid thing. Yep, definitely agree with that. If, if you're honest with yourself, then you can find out the best way to enjoy yourself while you are doing it. What if you're a person that wants to succeed, but doesn't necessarily have a bunch of time? Obviously, their expectations can't be super high, right? It's like, it's tough to actually maintain the ability to play at the highest level if you are not constantly testing and like staying updated and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, what's uh, certainly there's nothing wrong with wanting to perform at a high level while also not having a bunch of time. So like, What's the goal? Is there is there a trick there? Is there like a BuzzFeed article you could write about this? Is there an arbitrary number of things you could do? <laughs> or that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that like, I think at that point, the most reasonable thing for you to do is like, you have to accept that, okay, maybe my deck isn't perfect for this tournament. And maybe like, my sideboard isn't perfect. Or maybe, you know, I haven't done all of these stuff surrounding the tournament correctly, because I don't have the time. But when you get to the tournament, you can, you know, play your best and try to constantly seek self-improvement and think about and talk about what you did wrong. And if you can play the games a little bit better and kind of understand what's going on and what you did right and what you did wrong, your end result won't matter because you've actually gotten better. And once you can actually, you have more free time or whatever, your situation is better towards actually approaching magic competitively, you know, more fiercely, then those little lessons that you've applied in that time frame can be taken to like more big picture stuff. Also, I would advocate for if it is not the right time for you to invest even going into a tournament that you should just wait on it because you might just frustrate yourself more if you don't succeed at a tournament. And, you know, just going in with the right attitude is 
probably the best thing you can do rather than like attempting to do too many things at once, which can like stress you out and frustrate you. Well, I'm never going to advocate that someone doesn't play magic. Like, you know, sure. but, but again, but, but that does, you know, lead back to being honest with yourself. Like if you know that you're the type of person who is going to two, two a tournament and be really upset, then yeah, maybe you shouldn't play it. But like, it's, it, it's, it's tough for me to make that assumption. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've had friends that have like burned out off of magic because they've put so much pressure on themselves and like, haven't really achieved their goals. And they're like, Oh, this game's all luck, yada, yada. And then, you know, I, I seen them flame out and I'm, and I'm disappointed by that. I, I want to tell them to just, slow down a little bit but with they have jobs they have whatever and they want to do this it's kind of tough to tell them not to yeah i mean this is always like a kind of a a slippery slope and obviously you don't want to tell people how to live their lives but you know just like with anything else like magic is a a difficult endeavor and it requires a lot of time and effort and you just got to figure out what's best for your situation so my thing that i don't even know when i came to figure this out it's i feel like i've just felt this way for a long time but now I basically just treat Magic the whole as one big session, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but it is basically just like, rather than putting certain tournaments on a pedestal and saying like, okay, well, this is the one where if I don't do well, like, I'm not going to feel good about it because this is what I've been preparing for, blah, blah, blah. That's just like a drop in the bucket for me. Every tournament is basically the same. They are all, all learning opportunities. As long as I am focusing on bettering myself and learning as much as I can, I can apply that in future tournaments, and those tournaments will therefore go better for me, at least in theory. At some point, maybe something nice will happen. And I I think that's a good way to do it if you actually have the time uh, to actually play a bunch of Magic and stuff. But as as far as, you know, only being able to play every every once in a while and hoping it all comes together, like, I I don't know. I I do think a lot of it is just you know, kind of curbing your expectations and sort of hoping for the best and being able to just spend your time wisely as far as like, okay, so maybe you don't have enough time to like test all the decks and all the matchups. Maybe you should just play like the best deck, even if it's not your style necessarily, you know, maybe you should just read up on that, try and watch the videos and like look at sideboarding guides and stuff like that and just try and become as acquainted with the deck as possible. Uh, Even even watching good players play your deck in tournaments could be a, a good learning opportunity. Yeah, I mean, this seems as good a segue as any to actually talk about, you know, how can you prepare for tournaments with a limited amount of time? Or, you know, everyone has a limitation on time, so how can you maximize that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not infinite, right? Depending on where your expectations are, there are things like TV or movies or whatever, like things that you could actually just cut down on uh is if like magic was a big portion of it or I don't know, whatever whatever people do in the real world, I don't even know. I feel like I'm pretty out of touch, but... Pokemon Go. Yeah, catch Pokemon. Well, yeah, I mean, I do that. That's that's just great. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there is there is time to be found in other spots as long as you are trying to figure it out and, and try and come up with an idea of, like, you know, how much time you actually want to devote to this. And I think Magic Online, despite its flaws, is in a good place where, like, the leak format is really good for people with this sort of issue. Well, so we should, should we actually talk about, you know, a little bit more micro level talking about preparing for tournaments. Sure, man, go for it. Well, so, I mean, we, we've kind of given, spilled our guts and maybe gotten a little too in depth with ideas of, you know, personal reflection and being honest with yourself and, you know, how you can devote your time to getting good at magic if you are really want to do that. But when you're actually like sitting down and playing games to actually prepare for a tournament, 
I think a lot of people do it pretty badly. And the, the, the number one thing for me is that people put a lot of weight on individual games and the results of individual games. I, I saw this a lot, obviously. I mean, I mean, I still do, but specifically when we were in like big PT testing houses or whatever, we'd be testing like a matchup and somebody would come back with like a 10 game set and they'd be like, all right, well, green, white, megamorph went six, four against red, green, whatever the heck that deck was. A Tarkarad. A Tarkarad. Thanks. Landfall. Yeah. And it's like, well, that doesn't really tell me anything. That means you just Agreed. play 10 games of Magic and you barely won the set. It's like, you didn't tell me what cards are relevant. You didn't tell me the pacing of the games. You didn't tell me, you know, what interactions came up. People put a put really big weight on actually winning the games and playtesting. And in reality, none of that actually matters. What you need to find out is just the, the intricacies in the matchup, what interactions are important, what cards are under, overperforming and underperforming, and then apply that to you know the rest of your playgroup, your team, or just on the individual level, you know, find out what actually makes the matchups tick. All right, two things. You and I have both wrote, written similar articles on this subject, and I, I guess I never really got around to asking you. Like, did you read my article, or like, did we both just kind of like come to the same conclusion? Because I think that's pretty interesting. I uh, don't know what article you're referencing, so maybe. No, okay, just like the the proper playtesting stuff. I don't know when you wrote it. I might have written it in the, or excuse me, I might have read it in the past. I'm not sure when you wrote it. Okay. So it is weird to me, not weird because it makes sense because I think that, you know, my ideas are correct, obviously, which is why I have them. But <laughs> uh, you you wrote this article and it was like, man, I've, I've like written this article at, at least once for Star City and I think once for Channel Fireball. But it was like a lot of the same stuff where it was just like, tell me what matters. I don't care about the numbers because the numbers don't tell me anything. What, what cards are important? Like, if, if there is an issue, can we fix it? Uh, you know, maybe with sideboarding or something. But, like, what is going on in the games? And I think that this is kind of my second thing. We're like, people have their own individual skill sets. And I think it is really important to leverage them, especially when you're on a team. Mm -hmm. But, or, or a, even just like a group of people, like maybe not even necessarily a team. You know, some, some people can't necessarily do that. You know, like they play the games, they play the games really well because they have this intuitive knowledge of the games and like how they're supposed to pace them and, and whatever. But like you ask them a question, they're just like, I don't know. You know, like I, I, I won six of the games. Like it seems fine to me. Right. But it's like, you, you know that they're really good at magic, but they just can't necessarily tell you the hows and whys. And I think expecting that out of everyone is probably not the best way to go about things. Ideally, I think that, you know, those would just be the discussions that I would have all day because that, that stuff fascinates me. The, the fact that you and I both came to like, effectively the same conclusions like i should find my article and link it to you because i'm pretty sure it's just like the exact same one yeah i, I do think that that is the correct way to go about things ideally uh, i mean I, I i kind of agree obviously getting as much information out of like the testing is like important but like when you're trying to like let's say there's there's a scenario where your team is trying to find out which deck to play and it's like a toss-up between something between two different decks and it's like the monday before the tournament and you're you're trying to find out which one has like better percentages or whatever. I, I can see that being a corner case, but generally I agree with you guys. To, to me, it all comes down to sharing relevant information. If you're like, okay, my deck went six, four against your deck. Like this maybe is slightly favored in the matchup. Like I, I, that doesn't really effectively do anything. It doesn't help anyone. Like it's not going to dissuade someone from playing, you know, the opposite deck that was on the losing side, because like Jerry said, you know, the pilots might be of an, an unequal strength or, Maybe some people are better at doing X other than rather than Y. 
if you're actually able to share relevant information with the team about how the game's played out, maybe the person on the losing side of that deck choice can take that to the pro tour. And because they learn something about, you know, the pacing of that matchup or the interactions of that matchup, they can actually win a game at the pro tour because they actually talked about what matters. Saying that something won more than it lost isn't, isn't helping anyone actually win more games in a tournament. Do you think that the figuring out of information and dispersing that information is kind of like the step one of testing for a big tournament and then figuring out what to do with that information is like part of the deck selection process? Because like, I think you guys might be talking past each other and kind of like talking about different stuff where Andrew wants to know the numbers to try and decide what deck to play, like after he already has all the information. And you're you're talking about like gaining information for like, Maybe, maybe what deck to play in a tournament when, you know, you're talking about like strategic superiority versus the field or something of that nature, uh, rather than like specific card interactions. Like, does that make sense? It does. Um, and, you know, obviously I could have been more clear about what I was saying, but like, I think even when you're down to like crunch time, trying to like figure out what deck to play or whatever, like even saying that like a deck has slightly better win percentage against the field or whatever, that's, you're, you're still not saying anything. Like, people are going to realize that maybe there's a top three hierarchy of decks that they're willing to choose to play in the tournament or whatever. So still focusing on what matters is is the most important thing you can do. Because that's actually, like, real. It's, that's, that's tangible advice that you can use in actual tournament gameplay. Well, the, the thing that I hate about the whole percentages thing is that the numbers skew wildly depending on, like, who is playing, you know, what deck and the specific card choices. Like, saying a yes. deck is, like, 60% never matters because, like, you know, the the Atarka Red decks, uh, I don't know, like, there there's, like, a normal version that didn't have, like, Team or Battle Rage become immense. There's Brian DeMars' deck that did, which a lot of people copied, and then there was, like, the Landfall deck, and, like, they're all very different, right? But it's, like, saying, like, oh, I go, like, X and Y against Atarka Red doesn't really help anyone because, you know, Team or Battle Rage is, like, the problem card. So if you're playing against decks that, like, are all in on that combo and have, like, four copies of that card, like, your matchup gets significantly worse. You know, situations like that happen where it's just, like, even even the numbers lie. Or it's, like, you know, this this dude had a different game plan when he was playing the games. That's why he went 8-2 and two versus someone else who went, you know, 6-4 and four just, you know, not playing around stuff or playing around stuff or whatever. In order for the numbers to matter and to make sense for you to, like, make your decision based off of them, you have to understand why those numbers are the way they are. Yeah, I certainly agree. It's 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 also inherently problematic at the beginning of the testing process for something that you touched on. It's like, as soon as you start changing the numbers and the decks and the archetypes, like, those numbers become irrelevant because the decks are no longer the same. Yeah, everything changes. Yeah, something that we do a lot in our like little testing circles, we we talk more about like the feel of the game. How did this game feel given like a hundred permutations of this game? What do you think the outcome would be? I think that's a lot more useful than the actual outcome. I agree with that, but like why? Why did the games feel that way? Why do you feel like the games would have this outcome a lot of the time because x y interacts well with z i mean that's that's why you play the game you play the game to understand how the cards work together and then you use that information to make the best deck selection and then in the tournament you use all the information that you learn playing to you know try and not make any mistakes do you guys actually do the just like you know this deck is uh, has a slightly higher win rate across the board therefore we're going to play that deck or like maybe only if it's close, right? I, I I don't have as much experience like 
with the entire big team scenario, I don't have, I, I've never been on like too many different other teams or worked with a bunch of different people. Um, we generally trust each other. So like if a majority of the people feel this way or have the same opinion, then most everybody will defer to that. A uh, little, little group think. Love it. I think this is a perfect segue into to something that I feel pretty strongly about when it comes to teams and tournament preparations, just like em- empowering all of your teammates to trust their results and, you know, have faith that everyone's on the same page is, is definitely an important thing and, you know, group and team related activities. And I think that's been a big issue with teams that I've been a part of in the past. So, you know, I, I respect where Andrew's coming from. Yeah. And I, I think what helps my team a lot is that we are just friends too. And that really goes a long way when we're in crunch times. Cause we definitely have our best interests out for each other rather than like, you know, being more self-oriented. Well, Michael, let's let's talk about playgroups slash teams, I guess. What what do you want out of a team? Or what do you think that like a teammate should be doing? This is this is not on our notes, this is just a thing that I want to know. Just out of curiosity, I guess. I think that a team should do their best. I mean, I'm I'm just coming up with this on the fly, even though it's it's obviously something I've thought about in the past. I think it's it's reasonable to put yourself first, but beyond yourself you should be doing everything in your power to help your teammates and help them succeed. And you should put the collective, you know, very highly. Jerry, where are you on this? Uh, I, I don't want to get into it. I'm basically like a more extreme version of majors, if that makes any sense. Mm, I can see that, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to like harp on this too much, but I basically feel like most teams, like people join teams so that they can help themselves do better in the next tournament. Yep, that's that's normally the, the level one kind of reason for joining a team. I mean, the, the basic idea is that, you know, the, the sum of the parts is, you know, superior, right? I mean, going back to, like, playing in a tournament, I want my teammates to, you know, like, be around me when I'm at the tournament. And, you know, when, when you're with your friends, you're you're definitely having a better time, which makes your disposition at the tournament more healthy, which can lead you to play better. That's that's just my opinion. No, yeah, I definitely think that's a good point. Like, that's that's a real thing. Being able to, yeah. like, go to your teammate after a tough game and then recreate where you think you might have made a mistake and then have them reflect on it and make you look back on that. And, like, you know, everybody gets better together. And that general everybody working towards something, I don't know, it really helps my state of mind and makes me, like, more like on point at a turn. Certainly if you can cultivate that culture to where that's actually happening, that's a, you know, an awesome, very healthy thing. But is that too high school musical for you guys? No, I, I just think that reality is that, or, you know, maybe not reality or whatever, but like, I, I think Jerry just doesn't think that's a real thing. I, I don't want to speak for him, but I don't think what's a real thing, a perfect world where everyone is, you know, happy for each other and makes everyone better and brings everyone up. Like it is doable, but like, Maybe he hasn't experienced that. I don't know. No, that would be ideal for me, certainly. I mean, that is that is what I want. That is what I think, in theory, would create the best scenario, but I have never actually encountered it in real life, so I don't know for sure. But I feel like as if everyone were to be very invested in everyone else's success and was trying to help other people with their shortcomings and, and stuff like that, like you, you basically just like bring everyone up and therefore the team will get better and everyone will benefit as a result. I would like to think that I am lucky enough to have that. 
So, assuming that everything goes right and you, you have this play group slash team where, you know, everyone gets along, everyone works together, uh, you, you have people on, on the squad that have specific roles, you know, th- th- certain things that they are good at, that they excel at, and they kind of, like, fill the holes for the team and stuff. Like, wh- what, do you, what do you do from there, Majors? Like, leveraging your resources is obviously, like, a pretty important thing, but, like, what do you do specifically? I actually think Andrew might be a better person to start this this uh, discussion because he kind of has, like, a pretty solidly niche role in, in his team. He's kind of, like, the control guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Like, um, everybody has, like, a certain job. Like, we all kind of have cards that we would definitely gravitate to more often than not than, like, others. So, you know, we talk about it. We make decks with cards that we like. We're still kind of early in the process, so we're still just kind of jamming like brew versus brew. But you know, we we get our initial reactions and impressions from playing with these cards, and then we like share them with the group, and then the group responds, and then we move forward with that information. Man, I couldn't even like milk some sweet like new control card out of you. You're you're just an, you're an iron trap. Well, it's probably because there are none. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a sad world, dude. I'm I'm just so mad at Tireless Tracker card. Ugh, God. Anyways, continue. I don't know. Like for me, like I so I, I'm kind of like obsessive in a weird way. Like with the way that I approach formats and build decks. Like I try to explore as many things as possible. I guess this is kind of getting you know off off topic to be honest. But as far as like leveraging your resources, but I like to just kind of like get a good grasp of like the interactions that are actually good and then i kind of just like aggressively build decks around those interactions as much as i can every single way that i can think of so i guess i'm kind of like the brew guy and uh, that ends up you know me making a lot of bad decks but um you know it kind of helps you find out what is actually good and what are things that you should actually be you know aggressively pursuing in a format so you know i can take those ideas and be like all right, I'm not sure exactly how to build this deck, but I have this idea and I know XYZ is good. Brad Nelson, make this polished, you know. And so, you know, you can use me to, like, iron down what is actually good and things you should be pursuing, and then another person might be a little bit better at, you know, tuning the deck list or building a mana base or something along those lines. But yeah, it's it's a step-by-step process, right? Like, at certain points, different people get keyed in, and it's like you try and play to their strengths. Exactly. So, you know, yep. precisely like in crunch time, I, I just brought up Brad. He is the he is the perfect resource for figuring out cyborgs because he will he goes deeper than literally anyone on the planet as far as how to build cyborg configurations. What about what about deck selection just in general? Are we talking about Brad or in, in general? Just Brad versus you. I'm curious. Well, can you can you ask a more specific question? Would you rather have Brad pick your deck for the tournament or have you pick your deck for the tournament? <laughs> I mean, I'm always gonna take try to take responsibility for my actions. I'd rather I pick the deck, and then you know, if what? I if I fail with it, then it's my fault. Putting all your faith in Brad is is your choice. So if you fail, that's also your fault. Yes, I, I don't want the the emotions that to rise up in the back of my brain that I'm trying to strike down of being like it's Brad's fault. I, I don't want to feel that way because that's not fair. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I basically I feel like you're selling yourself short as as far as like oh I'm the brew guy. I feel like you you do a lot more, but that's that's kind of neither here nor there. But I mean, I guess I guess part of it is uh, as far as like leveraging your resources. I mean, I, I think you should probably realize that you are good at other things too. Sure, that might be the case, but like I, I think that I am more willing to try new things, and you know, I'm, I'm not just gonna like 
jam band company 45 times in the two weeks leading up to the pro tour, you know, like, Oh, I'm, I know. I, I would, I would never put you in that role. Sure. But at the, at the same time, I think you're really good at like the very beginning stages and the very late stages. Sure. You, you have to have like a pretty honest understanding of, you know, who you are, what you're good at. So if, if you are the person who is like very good at identifying like a couple new cards and just having this like fine tuned deck, the, the reality of the situation is that Bant humans might be the best deck to play this pro tour that we find out in two weeks. And if there's that guy who's been, you know, all right, well, one Thali is the right number, two Tammy is the right number, one Archangel Abyssin is the right number, and he's been slowly tuning and, you know, playing the games and the matchups, and he has that fine-tuned list, you know, come Thursday night for the Pro Tour, then that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, that that could be the dude from basically the first section, right, where it's just, like, doesn't have a lot of time. Here's the good deck, like, one of the, the best decks from the previous format, and it got a couple of new cards, so let's go. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can't sell those people short. Like, it's not flashy just to, you know, have your Bant Humans deck and slowly be tuning it. But, like, that that plays a pivotal role in the process. Andrew, how much are you worried about that guy? What, the Bant Humans guy? We, we have we have a guy. It's Scott. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, like, Scott's a very down-to-earth dude. Yeah, like, he's probably... I, I would say he's probably one of our best mechanical players. So, like, we just... We just shove him the enemy constantly, and he just browns us all the time until we start browning him, and then we're like, all right, that's the deck we're playing. You were there, Michael. That's what happened last time, right? Well, it was Ricky Chen, but but yes. Sure. I was just like, Ricky, I need a battle against Bank Company, and he would just kind of silently be like, okay. And then we'd fight for like two hours, and he'd be like, all right. He doesn't talk much. I beat you again. <laughs> Pretty much. And I'd be like, oh, my idea sucks. Back to the drawing board. But um, anyways, like, you know, also somebody just having the patience and... Because, like, some people just get bored of playing the same deck over and over again, so it's important to have someone who's just kind of can, can persevere through the, the raw, <laughs> mindless games of... Not mindless, but the, the re- repetitive nature of playing the same matchup over and over again, or the same deck over and over again, I shouldn't say matchup. Those people are just kind of, like, the average? I feel like most teams have, like, half of that person. Yeah, sure, but, but I mean, you need those people. No, absolutely, and, I mean, I think half is, like, a pretty good number, too, because it's, like... You know, then you you always have a band company opponent, right? Yes. It, well, you you also have to be able to be flexible and be able to step into that role when it is needed. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, like anyone can pick up the deck; like they're just not going to enjoy it. But I do think that's kind of an important note too, where it's like you can't be the enemy in testing and also just like kind of hope that your deck loses because you want to play the sweeter deck. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you if you hate every minute of playing Bant humans against your, you know, your teammates bruise, then you shouldn't be in that position. We have a nickname for playing those kinds of decks. It's called uh, eating your vegetables. So mm. make sure to eat your vegetables. Nice. Mm, I don't I see. I don't do that. I also would not play Bant company in testing. So there you go. Yeah. Well, oh, it, yeah, it all right. makes perfect sense. I don't know, man. I like potatoes. Those are a vegetable, right? A lot of carbs in those. Uh, honorary, yeah. Okay, what about broccoli? Broccoli's good. Yeah, broccoli's Hell delicious. Yeah. All right. Okay, moving on. So as, as far as leveraging your resources is concerned, how do you feel about like trying to teach those like superpowers to other people on your team? Like, Do you feel like that's valuable, or is that kind of just like a wasted effort? You mean like this is my thought process about how I look at a new set. These are the interactions that I'm targeting because of X, Y, Z. Is, is that well, what you're say, getting at? Say you're the brew guy, right? And okay. You're you're working with Eureka for this pro tour, and they're like, "Man, Michael is just invaluable. We never knew we needed him, but now we need him all the time, right?" And every pro tour, they're just they don't do anything for the first week or whatever because they're just waiting for you to to ship them the hundred necklace, right? Okay. And then maybe there's a pro tour where 
you know, you break your leg and can't go or you, you fall off the train or something, right? Do you feel like it is good to try and have a replacement or another person that can do the same thing as you or, you know, maybe preparing for the worst in case, like, you suddenly hate them and no longer want to work with them? You mean from my perspective? No, like, for, for their perspective, for just as a team perspective. Like, do you think it is plus EV to spend time trying to, like, learn how you do things and, like, how you are able to come up with all these brews? I mean, I think the team should always be incentivized to cultivate as many skills amongst its members as possible. But how, so, much, time, how much time does that take? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's, like, a, you know, a science or whatever. But, you know, everyone should, should look at especially for like let's just say like my decks are successful or whatever it's like okay well why are they successful what is he targeting like they just have to start asking the right questions like why why do these cards interest michael or whatever it's like what what is he owning in on and once you kind of get like an inherent idea of like trends of you know trying to exploit certain interactions you can start to you know start to cultivate those own skills for yourself i'm not sure if that answers your question exactly but no it does it does I mean, I, I think that basically everyone should try and become a little bit more well-rounded, but as far as, like, looking at new cards and seeing various interactions, like, you are very good at that, whereas I think that that is not necessarily a skill that is teachable. I mean, it's got to be teachable, right? I, I don't think many things are inherent. Well, I, I think the default setting for most people is, like, they see a new card and they're just like, ah, oh, that card, like, sucks, or, like, I don't know what kind of deck it goes into. But instead, you're just like, ooh, what can I do with this card? And I think that interests you. It doesn't necessarily interest anyone else. Okay, sure. But, but I mean, that's just like a, you know, personal thing. Like, do you want to be more creative? Do you want to explore your options? Like, do you want to, do you want to type mythicspoiler.com into your browser 80 times in a week, you know? <laughs> oh, I'll take, I'll take the way over on 80. Do you know how many times I've written Battle for Zendikar visual spoiler into my Google? <laughs> it's just stupid. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just like, I, and actually, I, I think this is a good point. Just like constantly reminding yourself what cards exist in the set. Like, I, I do that all the time. Like, and I, I think that's something that maybe people don't do. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I was I was pretty in tune for like the last two PTs, and I, I found that since I'm not going to this one, I was going over the spoiler today, like building decks for versus videos, because just, you know, giving myself a refresher, making sure I'm not missing anything. And right. I was like, huh, I know I looked at the full spoiler at least twice, but I don't remember seeing this card, you know? Sure. And, and this also comes down to like, you know, card evaluation stuff, like, you just have to figure out what is inherently good in magic, you know, trending with constructed these days based on, you know, design principles, power creep, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, you can you can just identify that, you know, this card is objectively powerful. What can I do with it? And then you having familiarity with the card pool, you can kind of just put the pieces together. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter how good or bad they are. Right. It's just like figuring out what is possible and going from there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I build so many decks where they're absolutely awful and playable, but like two or three cards play well together, and I'm like, okay, well, I just want to keep building decks with these cards because they're awesome. Yeah, you have to start somewhere. Finding the interaction is more and more important than finding the good deck at the start. Absolutely. I, I think that's that's something that, because people will, and th this goes back to, you know, talking about win percentages, they're like, okay, my, my deck sucked, like I got absolutely annihilated by bank companies, so I'm just going to throw it all away. It's like, well, no, this one card performed really well, so what can you do with that even though your deck's not good? And that's just like coming down to what's important, you know. Agreed. It really all yeah, goes I, back to that point. I, I think I think just building decks with new cards and playing games with them is pretty important. Yep. Um, and this is kind of off topic, but uh, Jerry and I played like one-on-one -on -one team sealed pools 
<laughs> for preparation for uh, GPDC, which was the the team sealed event. We weren't on the same team, and we didn't prepare as as a team with each other. We just built decks with each other and played one on one. Just by playing like twenty games, we found out like six rares that we had no idea were good were just actually like insane bombs. And like stuff like that is is kind of a good example of constructed in at the beginning of a format. It was also just really fun, man. Well, yeah, dude, limited is the best. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew this would get Andrew excited, but it was really oh, fun. Oh man, I I am so bummed I missed that. Well, you live all the way on the other coast, so that's kind of your fault. Well, I mean, you guys were also talking about like looking at the visual spoiler and like it's not a secret. Limited is my favorite format. And I play it like a lot. Because I just play it constantly, I just know all these stupid random commons and uncommons. And, like, certain times and people ask, oh, I need, like, a certain card for this slot. Do you guys know of any? And instead of, like, hitting gather, you can be like, oh, I know, bam, like, I played with this card in Limited. It's similar. It does this role. Blah, blah, Here you go. Andrew, side note, if you ever want to talk Limited, you should hit me up. Like, if you ever just want to message me with a card and be like, how good is this card? I would love to play that game with you. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm more of a uh, guess and check kind of guy. I like to mm. throw my brain against the wall and then figure out what shows up. So unlike Constructed, where I feel like it is important to play a bunch of games with like new cards and learn stuff, with Limited, I now just want to be right off the bat. Like, correct right off the bat. Well, that's not easy. It's not, which, which makes it so fun. Yeah, not knowing stuff is definitely my... Uh, Favorite thing in Magic, testing with your friends, understanding what's good. Okay, so squads should leverage their resources. Uh, we kind of talked about asking the right questions both before and a little recently. Kind of talked about watching and learning, but kind of indirectly, just as far as like learning other people's superpowers. I think I, I learn a lot more from watching people play Magic than actually playing Magic myself. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I actually love, like, two-headed gianting. Not literally playing two-headed giant, but just, like, oh. playing with someone attached to the hip and just, like, playing a game a little bit more slowly. I hate that. Okay, sure. And, and you know, everyone's different. I just hate yeah. it because it takes a long time, and not everyone has the same vision for the game. If you played a game up until turn six, you know, and then you're like, hey, I have to, like, go to the bathroom or something. Can you tag in? I, we're, we're not going to be in the same headspace, right? Like, that's just going to be really, really bad. Oh, I'm talking from, like, turn zero, just kind of No, like... I, I know, but at the same time, it's just, like, it's it's so hard because, you know, you're going to be like, oh, I want to play this, and they're like, I want to play this, and you're like, okay, and then it's just like, the next turn happens, and they're like, well, I want to play this, and you're like, wait, what? No, that's crazy. And it's because you guys are thinking, like, on, on such different levels a lot of the time, and I... I don't know. It, it's hard to, like, play that game and keep it pure when ultimately you're going to have to, like, talk about, like, the hows and whys of, like, how you're trying to play this game and stuff. And, like, I get I get how that's valuable. It's probably more valuable if you're doing it, like, online or something and not in front of a live opponent that can then, like, glean information from you or whatever. It, but it, it's also just, like, if, if you're the single opponent just, like, sitting there for, like, five minutes in between every turn, obviously five minutes is probably an exaggeration, but... You know, it's it's also really annoying to be that person. So I don't know. I just I just kind of hate that. I, I totally I was, understand what you're saying, but I think the the fact that you know it promotes that discussion is very valuable if it's used in the right way. I, I agree. If, I, I, I know you guys hate the program, but um, we're we're really big advocates of playing on Coctris just because multiple people can watch the game. We can all be on the same kind of Skype call or whatever messaging service we use, and we 
we look at the game from both sides. You know, we have the players play it out, and then because the software is so flexible, you can like take back whatever you had done. Then we like discuss the play, and we like have this war room discussion about like should he have played Dramoka's command in a different way? And we both we all like learn a, a ton from it. So I mean, to be fair, you could just do that in real life too. Like yeah, sure, but I mean, you, we don't all live together. Yeah, is, uh, you guys, you guys are basically talking about the same thing, and I, I do think it has merit if you can do it in the right way. I have, I've mostly been on the side of like the dude who has to sit there and wait for you know two people to make up their mind, and then like they realize three turns later that they both had like a, a different idea of like what was going on, and like someone just gives up and leaves, and it's just bad. It's definitely not just bad. Oh, it ends up bad for me, but sure. for me, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I can I can watch how the game plays out and kind of you know as long as I'm watching someone who is very knowledgeable and like you know knows what they're doing and has a plan for the the certain matchup and stuff. And certainly, this is more towards uh, either like the end of a, a testing session before a pro tour or whatever tournament it is, or like maybe the new set doesn't change much or whatever. Where like the decks are established, right? And it's just like, I can watch someone and kind of figure out like what they're doing during the game and know that they have a plan and stuff like that. So I don't know. I I don't necessarily need to talk to anyone, but I I do really like watching other people play just because it gives you a different perspective. But even then you can be like, you can watch the game to its conclusion and be like, hey, why'd you do X, Y, Z? Like, I thought that was interesting. You mean bad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know. (laughs) <laughs> however you want to call it man so should, should we talk about the last thing though this this trust and support <laughs> uh, i think we should uh wrap, wrap this entire episode up <laughs> jerry's just reading off my my loose script and being like should it, we do this it segues so well all right jerry take us home no, okay, so we talked about this a little bit. I think that trust and support are a really big deal because if someone comes comes to you and is like hey uh, even if they're doing it correctly, you know, they're doing it, they're they're giving Michael the information the way that he wants it, where it's just like, look, this is how the matchup played out, like, I can tell you, like, who won whatever games or whatever, but this, this deck felt favored, these were the reasons why I feel like it felt favored, these were the cards that were very important, uh, this is why, like, the other deck was always behind, these are some cyborg cards that could help, blah, 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 blah. If you don't trust the people who are playing those games, then you can't trust that information. And then what happens is you have to like spend the time going and playing those games yourself to try and learn it. It's just not very helpful. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of trust. You gotta understand that things like communication is, is very difficult, obviously. And sometimes you are going to have to like go back and and replay things just to kind of see for yourself or whatever. But ideally you have someone that just comes to you, tells you that stuff and you're like, all right, got it. And then like, you just get to treat that like fact. I I only take qualms of the one thing, like going back and playing it yourself. Like, I I don't think that you can be on a team with people that you, you know, at least in the vast majority don't trust. Yeah, it's 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 fine to go back and play the games just because you want to play the games. But like, if you're if you're fact checking, you know, someone else's homework, like you you just can't live that life. Like it's it's a horrible, horribly inefficient use of time. Like it it creates this like very negative toxic culture. It's just not going to work. No, I I agree with that. But at the same time, like you and I have both been on teams like that. I, I mean, unfortunately, and you know that's that's definitely a problem. And you know, I, I recognize that. I might have exhibited that behavior in the past, and, and that is problematic. Well, it, it's it's no one's fault, right? Like, I don't want to place blame on anyone, but it's like either you were not getting the information that you wanted, 
or you thought that some of that, you know, sounded incorrect. And, you know, you can certainly be proven wrong, too. You know, it's not like for sure you're always right, because if that were the case and I'm kind of projecting here uh, because I certainly feel like I'm always right. <laughs> at least when, at least at least when I make a decision as to like what a thing is like, there are times when I'm like, OK, I don't know the answer to this, but like. Once I'm like, okay, this is how it is. Like, I obviously feel like I'm right, but yeah, I mean, there there have been times where I've been proven wrong, and I've been like, oh, that's that's weird, you know. That that is certainly a thing that can happen, and it's just like if if you don't trust them and you have to waste your time, or you think that they're wasting your time, or whatever, yeah, it's it's just not going to work out long term. And I think uh, this kind of circles back to everything before, where it's just like just try and bring everyone else up, man. You know, if if you feel like you can't trust some dude because you know he's he's not good enough or he's not giving you the right information or whatever just like try and help him learn that's going to help you more in the long run than just like having to go back and check his work every time right yeah yeah of course if if you can create another asset for the team rather than you know just doing more work yourself then obviously that's great you know it's going to be a a net positive Uh, for for me the the only times that i can really think of what you're saying is like individual card choices where like i had very strong inclinations about a card and or played the games myself and thought the card was great and others disagree with me, and I didn't really understand that. So, you know, I, I, I definitely have some past experiences of what you're saying, but it's 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 a tough thing to to swallow and to try to work past. Well, say say they're like this card sucks in this deck. It it's tough because there are a lot of variables, right? It's like why why did it suck in this deck or in this matchup or whatever? And a lot of the time, it's it's like people not asking the right questions or you know, not playing the games in, in the same way as the other person or whatever. Like, a, a lot of it has to be communication. Exactly. It's like, well, why do you think this card is bad? I use it to do X, Y, Z goal or whatever. You know, what are you doing in the games? What is what is your plan? You know, right. you, you, you have to ask the questions till you get to the root of the problem, and then you try to solve the disconnect. Andrew, do you guys ever have problems like that? Where it's like you have to fact check other people or like you strongly disagree with someone or are you guys like mostly just on the same page? I don't recall any time where we've like had like arguments about just any sort of conflict. Really, we're definitely I I don't know pro- no, no conflict. No is the answer. That's awesome, and that's that's kind of what I would expect because it's like you guys are all friends. You all trust each other. You've been together for for a while. You know, like most teams, if they don't have that, just like end up just imploding. So like the team uh, that Jerry and I were on. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you think that there's there's something to be said for us being the constant in all of these bad teams that we've been on? Oh, absolutely, dude. Man, we suck. Yeah, we're for just, sure. We're horrible people. Right, well, that's that's a bit strong. No, we're not. We're not. We're all great. Andrew thinks we're great, so we have to be great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so I, I feel like a lot of this is kind of tough, and magic is a tough thing just in general. A, a lot of this is is not an exact science. A lot of it is just like iteration and kind of figuring out what works for you. And I, I think the being honest with yourself point is very true. I think finding a good team to work with is very difficult too. I don't know. A, a lot of this, I think we're we're kind of maybe maybe it seems negative. I guess I don't know, but it, it shouldn't be. You know, it's, it's just that it's difficult, and there are going to be a lot of pitfalls and. You're going you're gonna to have some, like, downswings before you have a lot of success in most cases. But ultimately, I think, like, once you figure out where you want to be and you, you can kind of, like, cultivate that, 
it'll be just an overall positive experience because magic is great and people are great. And I think, you know, people can just have a lot of fun together. Yep. I just find, find the best way to make magic the best that it can be for you. And then it's great. Yeah. Just kind of figure out what you want to get out of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. I, I certainly agree with that. And actually I, I kind of just thought of this, like, I, th- I think it's good that I got destroyed a million times and didn't meet my goals immediately. And all those things like, it's probably for the best, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Little story time. Back uh, a while ago, the thing that got me into like, playing competitive magic was uh, three or four years ago. Oh, you're a, you're a baby. <laughs> All right. Just a child. So four years ago, Eugene, JC, and I went to GP Team Providence. Like, we went 10-0 on day one. Our, our seal decks were amazing. On day two, like, we only played against, like, really good people. And we went two and four and barely missed out on top fouring the the GP, which would like qualify us for our first pro tour or whatever. And like, I am so glad that we did not qualify then. <laughs> like we would have gotten absolutely annihilated. Our fire could have died. It, it might've been the end. Like I'm, I'm just super glad that we got destroyed and we learned from it. And, you know, now we're like in this spot where we like kind of have our process down and, you know, we, we do it and we have fun and we like it. Yeah, you just got to get Eugene back on the PT. Well, he is on the PT. He just deferred. Oh, okay. So he has two invites next year? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay. I thought I thought he had already used the silver. Uh, no, he had. No, he he, he redid it off of uh, GPs only. Oh, gas. By getting okay. Infinity 3s. The, the gang's all back together. Yeah, I know. It's all nice and so, cute. Are you guys playing in Louisville? Yeah, we will be playing in Louisville. Dope. <sighs> Who's your all squad, right. Jerry? Uh, probably same old, same old. A couple right. of Joshes. Rematch? I'm in. Just make sure you tell me what seat you're in before the tournament starts. Uh, all right, I'll just be sure to mind slavery you again. <laughs> Dude, this was... Oh, okay, it was Andrew you played against in this story? This story oh, is yeah. so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's a good story. But, yeah, uh, that was it. Andrew took up all of story time for this week. No games, only some stories. This one was kind of, like, dense with existential stuff. I don't know how people are actually going to take this, but... You know, we're, we're always open to, to get feedback. So uh, by all means, don't message me. Just message Andrew and Michael on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'll just sit this one out. Just bother them while they're busy testing for the Pro Tour and I'm just sitting at home. Perfect. I think that would be fun. But yeah, uh, like I said earlier, we're taking a break for two weeks, I think. Maybe three weeks. I don't even know. I, I think two weeks. That sounds yeah, about right. Two weeks is okay. right. Okay, two weeks, and then, yeah, we'll have a lot of sweet stuff to talk about once you guys crush the Pro Tour and make me extremely jealous that I did not go. But, as always, thank everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Jerry Thompson, at G3RRYT on Twitter. Andrew Brown is at Merck underscore Lurker. Michael Majors is at Michael J. Majors, and you can find us at The Game Podcast, G-A-M. Andrew, give, give, give me a That's Game. Uh, all right, well, that's game! Don't feel bad, Homer. Nine out of ten religions fail in their first year. That's game, Hendrix!